I looked upon him. He said, the God of the Father hath, God of our Father hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard, and now why tarriest thou? Arise, be baptized. WPSL, Port St. Lucie. And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really glad you tuned into the show today. Thanks for thanks for doing that and hope you'll make it a habit every week to tune in to We Are Just Christians here on WPSL. We'd love to have you. Uh, this show is a live call-in show, and in just a moment, I'll give you a chance to grab a, something to write the numbers down. I'll give you the number to get a hold of us and some other contact info if you'd like to join in the conversation. We'd love to have you. And, and the show is built on that, on having conversations about different subjects, and uh, we'd love to have your input. And we, we might disagree, we might not disagree, but we'll give you the last word on any disagreement, and we're not here just to bait you about something it's a it's a serious discussion and so we encourage you to give us a call uh, at we are just christians we, we talk about any kind of thing that's spiritual doesn't have to be about church doesn't even to be directly about the bible you don't have to be a christian to participate but you have to have an interest or a concern about spiritual things even if you don't believe in spirituality as such we'd love to have your call to talk with you about that if you've got something you'd like to say about Christianity or Christians or something about life. Uh, a lot, some people are angry with God, and I understand why that is. So maybe you want to talk about that. We'd love to hear from you. And the number you can reach us here uh, on We Are Just Christians is 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number. That's the regular call-in number. Uh, Ray there at the station will put you through to us, and we'll be able to have a conversation. Now, the problem we have sometimes, so just so you know in advance, is that because of all the technological, you know, windings around through the Internet, through our computer, back to the radio station, and then I think the station adds a one- or two-second delay in case, uh, you know, Gary decides to curse over here or something. Um, they, they He's smiling, of course. I'm teasing. But, but they um, – that adds – so we might jump over each other. So we'll be patient about that. Sometimes I really can't tell uh, that the caller is talking instantly. It doesn't work that way. So if we do, we'll be patient with each other and we'll try to figure that out. So that sometimes happens. It's accidental. We're not trying to cut you off. I'm going to give you plenty of time to talk if you want to call the show. 772-340-1590. You can also reach us by text message, which is 772 772- Two six zero six one two zero seven seven two two six zero six one two zero or seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. And I've been informed that it's a half a second delay. Well, with my brain, that should be perfect then, because I think <laughs> I'm on a half a second delay too. But it, but in the event, uh, the um, that's how you get a hold of the show. Some people like to email. The show. In fact, we're going to go over an email uh, this morning. We have a pop chance. We got an email from a listener in Georgia, uh, two or three questions, and uh, that that email is justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net. Now, if I don't respond to you immediately on email or or text message or something, just do it again. I, I'm not trying to ignore you. I assure you, it's just getting confused and all the stuff stuff I get that's junk stuff and then uh, other things so just do it again and we'll get back with you as soon as we possibly can all right so we have a caller on the line are you there jerry uh yes uh thank you for taking my call mike and gary uh i was wondering about the adjective maudlin uh m-a-u-d-l-i-n and it's an adjective and the first thing they mention in webster's is mary magdalene 
often while presenting uh, or weeping uncontrollably. And I wondered if you could use that word in a sentence to give me an idea how it's uh, used. And also, did it have anything to do with the uh, weeping wall? Did it ever, uh, you know, link this term with the weeping wall? which I understand is in Jerusalem, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but the word is maudlin, uh, Mike, and thank you for taking my call. Okay, Jerry. Yes, maudlin is uh, a, a, a word about sadness. It's a word about weeping or tearfulness. Uh, sometimes it's associated with drunkenness. And so a person, you know, Jerry, in my experience, there are happy drunks, <laughs> there are violent drunks and there are sad drunks, you know, and you never know which kind you are until you do it. And uh, you can turn from one to the other a little bit. But but a, a person is intoxicated because they're because of a broken heart or and I'm not trying to be rude there when I say that because of a broken heart or trouble, they often weep and, and are mournful and it's almost over. It's almost over much, but that's what the idea of it is to be tearfully or weakly emotional. Now, I did not know that this was a, um, that this was associated with Mary Magdalene, but um, apparently you're saying it is, so that's something that I didn't know. So the idea then is he, he um, you, let me see if I can think of a sentence here real quick. So, the events of the day led him to a place of maudlin sentimentality, that kind of thing. It means sadness. I didn't know it was associated with Mary Magdalene. I'll have to look that up. But, uh, of course, that might be true because of her weeping at the cross. The also, some people think the woman who dried Jesus' feet with her hair and was weeping and using her tears to wet his feet and dry his dry with his her hair. Some people think that's Mary Magdalene. And the scriptures do not the scriptures do not call that or do not identify her in that case. Possible, of course, but but no one. Um, I'm trying to think of the word I'm trying to say here. Uh, no one knows for sure if that's Mary Magdalene. The sinful woman who, and I'm trying to find the reference here. Give me a chance to look it up. I just can't think of where that would be, the exact reference of it. Give me just a second, Jerry, and I'll find this for you. Uh, yes, it's in it's in Luke 7, uh, verse 38, or verse 37. A woman of the city, behold, who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, Bought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed him with the fragrant oil. So the Pharisee objects to this. And he says, first of all, if this man was really a prophet, he would know that this is a sinful woman, not a person of high class, maybe immoral. And she, he wouldn't let her touch him because she's a sinner. And the man, Simon, Simon was the man's name. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. And he talks about a man who has a great debt, man who has a little debt. Which one do you think would love the man more? And he said, well, the one who was a great debt if it was forgiven. So Jesus then says to her, Jesus then says to him, uh, well, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time she I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But whom little is forgiven, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And then the people who saw this said at the table began to say, who is this one who forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this is an interesting story. Lots of things to consider. But 
some people say that's Mary Magdalene. The text doesn't say at all. Again, that's Luke 7, beginning in about verse 36. You can read that story there of the woman who was weeping. And you might say she was maudlin. That's, maybe that's where it comes from. I don't know. Now, the, the other thing that you asked about. The, the wailing wall? Yes, the, the, the wailing wall or pissing wall. It's in there myself. Go ahead. You want to say something about that, Gary? Well, basically, it's the uh, only a portion of the western wall of western wall of of the retaining wall for the Temple Mount. Not the temple itself. Not the temple itself. That's all gone. August of 70 A.D., the Romans completely destroyed Jerusalem. Um, Basically, they took down everything that was on the Temple Mount, leveled the top of it, uh, actually destroyed portions of the retaining wall in some places, uh, but and by throwing all that stuff over the side, actually buried to some degree the site now that the Jews call the Wailing Wall. But uh, I what Gary's getting at is that they they made Herod made a big pavilion around the temple that wasn't yeah. there before, so he had to pile a lot of dirt up to do it, and he had, he built these walls up to hold the dirt in, so it made the temple have these these walls around it that you before you could even get up to the platform where the temple was. All that's left of this is a small portion of this wall. I'm going to say it's a couple hundred feet long. Uh, just by memory. Well, I don't know the exact measure. Well, as far as the wall goes, there's a fair amount of the wall left 30, all around the... Well, this, yeah. this wall, 30, 40 feet high, something like that. Um, and as I say, there, there are this portions, wall that's left of the Jewish temple. Sorry, Gary. Yeah, there, there are portions of the western wall, the southern wall, and the eastern wall that pretty well still remain, and but there's not much left of the northern wall uh, that still stands today. But that was all destroyed. The top of the Temple Mount, the platform on which it was built, and these walls actually retain the platform. Well, the reason that I think that from what my being there and from reading about it, that this western wall has been the focus of the wailing is because it's the one that's closest to where the temple stood on top of the wall. It's, I think that's the one. it's almost there. There's some other features that are there, um, but basically they haven't had access to that wall hardly much into the 20th century. No, it it right. remained buried. It had to be excavated. Yeah, for but when you go there, you find these very ancient stones and blocks and, and you find, you know, plants growing on them. But there's little pieces of paper and other objects stuck in the cracks. I have pictures of this on my phone stuck in the cracks that are there between the stone. These are prayers and scriptures that people have put there over the centuries or, over, well, over the, especially in the 20th century, put there. And uh, there's many people standing there. In fact, there are chairs people have brought there, but many people standing there praying, touching their head against the wall, putting their hands on the wall, praying for long periods of time. Uh, now, there are two separate sections, Gary. There's a ma- male section and a female section. My wife and our and other folks in our party had to go through another gate to get another guard, security guard to get to the female place where the females could go, and then the, all on our side was all men. But it's a it's a place of reverence to the Jews who were there, and it is a, a an interesting thing to see. And you know that you're we you go you can go to. The Al-Aqsa Mosque, which all this fighting in Gaza is supposedly about, on the top of that platform, that's a whole nother excursion around to go in through that security, go on top. But um, this is weep. There was weeping there. It is a place of weeping. It's really, it's really just called the Western Wall. Yeah. But many people call it the Wailing Wall because of the. Well, the, waiting for the temple to be rebuilt. The Arabs call it El, I don't know how to pronounce it, but the Arabs call it the place of weeping or the place. Right. The Jews generally call it the wailing wall and it translated in English. Right. And that's uh, because of the destruction of the temple and, uh, and the, um, all that kind of stuff. Longing for the new temple to be built, which of course is never going to happen because God already built his temple and it's got nothing to do with, that wall and that in the city of Jerusalem. But anyway, anyway. Now, there's some interesting things about the southern wall that are still there. I don't know whether you saw this or could you go in, Mike? Because basically there were two large entrance gates on the southern wall that led 
two stairways up to the platform. And they're still there. I think that's the way we went in. I'd have to think about that. But most of the, I think that they're, they're walled up. You have to go up on the top and go back down no, to get there. No, we didn't there. go in. We didn't go in that way then. But uh, I, I we didn't have. You don't have free access to this whole area. You can't just wander around. I, I got a feeling the Arabs really control the top of it. It's completely under security. It can't be done. So you have to go where you know a guide is going to take you for the most part, uh, unless you have certain credentials, I suppose. Um, but in Jesus' day, those two those two entrances on the southern wall were the main entrances up into the you platform. Can see this from the, if I'm thinking of the same place that you are, you you can see this from the outside. But they're all walled up. It's all walled up. You can see the outside entrances outlined in the stone. Yes, and, and but they're walled up. And the, the Arabs walled this up centuries ago. But the stairways are still there. And if you look carefully, Jerry, you can go online and you can find some photographs that were taken in the early 20th century of those stairways and all the decorations and everything that were inside those stairways. Quite impressive. It was it was a tremendous architectural feat. Herod the Great built this part of it. Right. Okay, let me give you the numbers uh, to reach the show again before I forget. You can call live 772-340-1590. We'd love to have your call. 772-340-1590. And of course, you can call that number even if you're listening out of state or anything else. You can listen to the show on the internet. And by the way, if you if you are listening on the radio now, you can get this show um, on your phone or computer or wherever, mobile devices, in a couple of ways. Number one is go to WPSL.com. Click on the Listen Live button. During the show, it'll take you there. You can also go to any Alexa and Google devices and and ask for WCSL 1590. You can go to TuneIn Radio, the TuneIn Radio app on your phone. It's another way to listen. So you can tell your friends about this. They can listen anytime to the show. And then you can just call this the, the 772-340-1590 number anytime during the show and and talk with us. Um, that'll be that'd be great if you did that or anybody did that. Um, and you can also text and email, which we talked about a moment, a moment ago. So anyway, uh, thank you, Jerry, for calling in about that. Maudlin and and uh, probably has, I don't know the connection to Mary Magdalene. Didn't find the same thing you did. I'll take a look at that. But uh, yes, you can go to the weeping wall in Jerusalem, the wailing wall in Jerusalem and see that. Now, the question might be, is being Maudlin a good thing? I've always thought of maudlin being kind of sentiment, overly sentimental. Now, I'm o- I'm overly sentimental and nostalgic, so it'd be hard pressed for me to, uh, you know, get after somebody about that. But you know, the only problem with being maudlin is if if being maudlin prevents you from actually going about your business to serve the Lord and take care of your responsibilities. If it's debilitating then you need to do something about that. Well, almost. Some, some people are just sad and they have reason to be sad. It's not my job to judge why they're sad, but they have, but being sad doesn't mean you can't carry out or shouldn't carry out your responsibilities. Almost anything that takes you, takes away your ability to function to a degree is a bad thing. Yes. It needs and, to be, you know, it's not saying that it, you don't have a good reason to be, but on the other hand, you have responsibilities and you see this in the apostle Paul and other people. Uh, I'm, well, I'm going to just take Elijah, uh, maudlin in a way. He he uh, this great emotional battle up on Mount Carmel there in First Kings 18, and, and he defeats the prophets of Baal because God sends a miraculous fire from heaven and consumes the altar just like He said it would, and and he kills the prophets of Baal. But Jezebel and Ahab decide, well, that's all nice, except now you're going to die, and so he flees across the valley and on down to the south, Elijah does, uh, to get away from this death threats from Jezebel, comes to a cave and sits under a juniper tree part of the time and in the cave and he's depressed and he's sitting there moaning that God just kill me because I've tried my best. I'm the only one in the whole world that wants to serve you. No one else does. And you might as well just kill me now and all this kind of stuff. And 
God? God said, no, you're not. I've God got hears, others. God hears him and says, essentially, you're not. Get up and get going. And he, he gave, he, but he sent ravens to bring him food and water. Let him re- He said, rest a little bit. And he rested there. God is bearing his strength back, his emotions back in control. Then God said, go anoint Haziel and, uh, and all these th- and do all these things. You can read about I, I still got things for you to do. Get up and go. And, and none of them were dramatic like what he had just been through. They were all things that were going to take a long time to work themselves out, many years. And so we, we realize that we're only one small link in the chain of God's purpose. Each of us are. We have a job to do. We can't fix all the problems, we, we, and it's okay to weep about them and be sad like Elijah, but but God in the end said, okay, get up, now go back and do what you have to do. I need you to do. You have responsibilities, and so so that's what so that's what uh, Elijah did. Um, go ahead, Mike. And that's what Elijah did, and that's what that's what we're called to do. And that's a real thirty thousand foot flyover to the problem of depression and anxiety, but but I still think that's correct. I think that's the correct for me to have sympathy for someone who is depressed or upset and then just continue to allow them to slowly wallow and get worse and worse in the mire of that depression. I wouldn't be a loving person if I did that. I I, I need to eventually, after they're comforted, help them to see the correct way to get back up on their feet to whatever it may be. Now, on the other hand, this idea that all of us have to be cheerful and happy all the time or we're a bad Christian or a bad person is just a Hollywood movie idea or some kind of romantic novel idea. It's okay. Some of us, some people are sad by nature. They tend to feel things more. And that's okay. That's not a problem with God at all. God uses those people to be for sympathy and compassion for others, but they have work to do and they can't wallow in that. And so the idea that we need to be taking drugs or alcohol or just perk ourselves up all the time so we're always have a smiley, cheerful face or else we're not a good Christian, that leads to all kinds of problems. I think it leads to a phoniness in the church sometimes where everybody has to come to church and put on a plastic smile they think so they can be thought of as good Christians. They can't be who they are. They can't have be have a a bad place in life where where they're not extremely cheerful, but they're going about their business trying to help other people. They they aren't allowed to do that. They have to always be cheerful. Now, maybe the reason I talk about this is because that that's a problem that I personally face. Uh, I, I'm um, I'm one who tends to get down and have very negative emotions sometimes. And yet as a preacher, a minister, I feel I've always felt like I have to uh, people that I've always felt that people expect me to always be up and so forth. And I try to be, but, but some days I'm not, you know, and I, I just have like, this is one of those weeks where I'm not up. I'm not, you know, cheerful and, Happy and positive, you know. I have to, I'm struggling with a bunch of things in my head, and it's just me, and probably nothing anybody can do about it. But you know, you try to you hold your chin up and go back. When I have, I have two daughters, and emotional more so than my three sons. And when they were young girls, you know, they would be upset about something, and they'd be crying and wailing and. The world's going to end now because my sister said this or this person at school did this. And and so we'd sit down at night and, you know, talk. I'd talk with them about it a little bit here and there and hug them and all this. And I'd say after a while, I'd say, OK, now my famous phrase was dry it up and let's think about what you're going to do tomorrow to make this situation better. So we talk about what can you do actively, positively to deal with this or make this better. And so it's okay to be sad. You can be sad tonight, but tomorrow you're going to hold your head up and go about your business. Now, that may sound cruel to some of you, but I would almost guarantee you that if you talk to my daughter, she would say, okay, that's where the influence of the father probably has helped them. Does it make them not prone to being emotional? No, it doesn't make them less emotional. 
Does it mean they'll never get sad again? No, I'm not. I didn't say that. That's not that's not what I want them to do. But it does mean that they can realize that when they go down, they're going to come up again with God's help. They're going to come up fine and they'll be fine for a while and then they'll go down again. This is just the cycle of their life. That's what some people live. And we need to have sympathy and compassion for that. And so it's okay to be maudlin at times and under certain circumstances. But the Bible says that God is with us if we're his servants and we have work to do. And there's we could go to different paths. Jimmy's thing said about this theory. Well, it just it just comes back to the fact that God says in several places and I didn't have time. We're having technical difficulty with the door locks, and that's where I disappeared to. Um, But basically, uh, he's telling us to persevere. That's what it means. In in the face of – Hang in there in spite of being tough. That's right. Persevere. So – It doesn't mean you've always got to be chipper to be a Christian. Yeah, but you need to persevere. And and Job – go read the book of Job. Job. Job was enduring. He persevered. And that's one of the big lessons from that book. So, Mike, what about questions that we have? Okay, yes, uh, we need to get to that. Let me give the numbers real quick, 772-340-1590. That's the number, 772-340-1590. So we got three questions. We probably can only get to maybe one of these today from a listener in Georgia, as I mentioned. And she asked about how could I find the church of the New Testament? How would I go about finding the true church, or is that even a good thing? Now, I'm gonna, I want to save that for another show. I, in fact, I'm going to preach about that this morning at 11 o'clock, identifying the New Testament church. So if you want to hear about that, you can either come to the services here at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, or you can do the live stream, which I can give you the information about. We have a live stream. Uh, on uh, YouTube, you can look up uh, Church of Christ on uh, Savona Boulevard Church of Christ on YouTube, and you'll find our show this morning. Or we'll talk about it at another time. But in any event, we're going to put that one off on the radio show. The other one, recognizing the church is what you said. Yeah, recognizing the church. How would you know if you saw it? Because we're on this show. I think it might come from us on the show talking about uh, criticizing in their view different denominations and different teachings and not following the traditions of men. Well, how in the world can I find the right one then if there is one? That means you have to know what's in the Bible. Right. And that's <laughs> a bigger subject. It's all, I, can't, I can't answer it in just a couple minutes. Then the other question was um, on the baptism of John the Baptist. Uh, why is it that he did people who were baptized by John the Baptist need to be rebaptized later when Christ and his apostles taught baptism in, in, in Acts 2.38 and Mark 16.16. 16. And then, uh, then the other question was, which I think is might be interesting to people, is should a woman baptize someone? Okay. I think I would phrase it. Can a woman scripturally or properly baptize someone to become a Christian? Because we read about different people baptizing people who want to become Christians, like in Acts chapter 8 and so forth, and First Peter, and in, in Acts chapter 2, and, and references to this in First Corinthians chapter 1. Can a woman do this, or is it restricted in some way, either to a man or, more specifically, to a clergyman? Now, probably where this person is coming from, since it doesn't elaborate on this, they're coming from the perspective that um, any man could baptize another person into Christ because men have authority, uh, or at least she thinks that's what we would believe. But can a woman do that, either with men present or without men present? I think it, an even more basic question that goes back to this, Gary, we, you and I didn't talk about this at all, is can just anybody baptize anybody? Or do you have to be an ordained clergyman? And do you have to say specific words? What words do you have to say, according to the Bible, to baptize somebody? What sacri- what, what other ordinances and liturgies do you have to go through to, to baptize somebody? 
Now, you and I, Gary, have been raised in such a primitive, <laughs> simplistic way of looking at Scripture that we don't even think about those questions. But I can guarantee you that people out there in this audience think that the only people that can baptize someone is a priest or someone who's ordained pastor or the senior pastor or whatever it may be who's got the credentials, and then he has to say and do certain motions with his hands and say certain things with his mouth for the baptism to be official. Then you got to get an official baptismal certificate for it to all be official. You're smiling. Well, why are you smiling? I'm you just thinking people to think that. that well, no, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there are. Monica. It's just think that. it's just I'm I keep coming back to the scripture that <laughs> I keep coming back to Jesus command, which is about all that's said about it. It's all summed up pretty well in Matthew 28, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, talking about the apostles. He's speaking to the apostles, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's about it. Now, you have to look and say, okay, now, I know the, 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 the question, or I don't want to get too far afield from this question. So, so if, I'm, if I were to make some, oh, go ahead, Gary. if I were to make some inferences about the only thing that I would suggest that we say is you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's what I say. I don't think I have to say that. I, I think, but probably I could to, say yeah. in the in the name of Jesus. Probably well, it says in Acts two thirty eight, baptized in the name of Jesus she, Christ. Yeah, it doesn't say Father and Holy So there's a question, and people argue about that difference as if it makes a difference. I don't think it makes any difference because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all the three are united together in one, and Jesus Christ is the agent that's 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 uh, brought this about. So I don't see a big conflict, but I, I don't think you have to be a clergyman in order to baptize someone. Because I don't think that's really the intention or the gist behind that passage in Matthew. And then you have this statement of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that says he himself, he didn't baptize anyone, but he did baptize people. Okay. It's the same thing is said about Jesus and John yeah, exactly. Orr, that he didn't, per, he baptized more, more people than John. But then it goes on to say in the next verse, but he himself didn't baptize anyone, okay? So he was, phys Jesus was baptizing disciples by the teaching he was doing, and they were following him, but he personally wasn't dipping them under the water. So you're using baptism in two different ways. So do, did Jesus then only let certain disciples do this? Certain? It doesn't tell you. The Bible's completely silent about who was doing this baptism, right? Right. And the only thing I would say, it says in the name of implies by the authority of by the authority of. Okay. So if when we get to the question, that may be about the only difference or controlling factor that I see that we'd have to take note of. Well, you when you look at first Corinthians chapter one, and I just thought of this a little while ago. So maybe I want to make I, if you find criticism of my exegesis that let me know. But. Uh, they have the, they had divisions in the Corinthian church. They were all divided up in groups. And he says, I say that now I say this. Each one of you says this is verse 12, first Corinthians 1, 12. I say this that each one of you and we have a caller, but let me finish this point and then we'll get to Ken. Now I say this that each one of you says I'm a Paul. I'm a Apollos or I'm of Cephas or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Well, so there it is. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The true scriptural baptism goes back, is important and essential because you're being baptized into Christ because of his crucifixion. By now, he his, says in verse 14, Paul does. By his authority. By his authority. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. So now he, people say, oh, well, this means Paul didn't teach baptism. He did. All he's saying here is I personally didn't baptize anyone except these here 
And I'm glad about that, even though he could have done it, because he says, I don't want you following me. I don't want a bunch of people following me. Me baptizing you doesn't give me any authority over you or make me important. That's what Paul's saying here. The one doing the baptizing is not important. The reason that you do it to follow Christ and the immersion, the burial with Christ, that's important. But the one doing the baptizing is not important. If God had specified this, he, Paul had a perfect opportunity here to teach the will of God about who can baptize and who can't baptize. Didn't he? Perfect sure. opportunity to do that. Didn't do it because it doesn't matter. Because Jesus, Jesus could have in Matthew 28 just as well. Could Basically, he, he just didn't specify anything about now, it. Now, there's another side to this story about the male-female thing and some other inferences, which I want to get to. And I know this isn't a complete answer, but let's take Ken's call and then we'll then we'll come back. Well, let me let me mention that that passage. I think I've got it here. Um, I thought I had it. The one where he says, I I don't approve of a woman teaching. Oh, first Timothy two. Yeah, I'm I'm, first Corinthians 14. I had it here. Uh, I can't find it right now, but I'll, I'll, I'll look it up some. First Timothy two. Yeah, um, I'll find it here real quick. Then can, can, can just hang on a second. First um, Timothy two twelve, and I do okay. not forbid a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Well, first he says in verse twelve, let a woman learn in silence with all yes. submission, and as opposed to the teaching that, and praying that's going on in verse three. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was being deceived on the transgression. So, uh, and there's more to this, but he's saying here that women are to be in subjection, not have authority over men in the church. Doesn't say they can't do anything. And by teaching, he means teaching as the teacher, because we have other examples of women teaching, even men, but they were not doing so in an authoritative position. Is that the verse you're looking for? Yeah, that was the verse I was looking for. Uh, let's come back to that because I don't want to keep Ken holding too long here. Ken, are you on the phone? Yeah, yeah, Mike, I'm here. Okay, go ahead. Okay, um, I want to talk about ceremonial cleansing called a mikvah in Hebrew. That's where you went into a pool and you dunked yourself with your head underwater and then came up. Yeah. This is from the traditions of the Jews in the uh, especially during the time between the testaments when this became most popular. Is that not correct? Yeah. Now let me let me this 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 explains something. Okay. Because, you know, when Jesus went to John to get baptized, you remember John objected? Right. Said, you should be baptizing me, right? Right. Well, the reason Jesus had to be baptized is because before a marriage, both the groom and the bride had to have a mikvah. And since Jesus is the bride of Christ, he had to be have a ceremonial cleansing or a baptism. Okay. So that's part of the fulfilling of the law that he had to do. Well, uh, the well, I don't know about the law of Moses, but it would be that I'm not sure where I read about the bride and groom bathing. In the law of Moses, but it was certainly it, it, something they practiced right. back then. It, there's no, nothing in the scripture about that. Right, well, right. The, but this this cleansing is uh, well. I mean, the writer of Hebrews in chapter six, verse one and two, I think it was maybe on down to verse six in Hebrews six, talks about these old elements of the law uh, that they should have already known. Baptisms being one of them, which just means washings cleansings being one of, and that's kind of what you're talking about so the person yeah, the, but, the groom would baptize himself 
Well, I wonder, uh, but now well, see, Jeff- everybody, everybody who did a mitzvah did it themselves. Okay. They didn't need, need anybody to dunk them under the water. But it seems that Jesus is coming to John. John's baptism was different because he was doing the baptizing. Of the he was, his was a repentance for forgiveness of yeah. sin. So it's interesting. They were yeah, used to the I'm washings. Neither says anything about him touching anybody. No, except that. In so the baptism of John was for the remission of sins. Right. He didn't need that. All right. So what do you think about? Have a, he did have to have a mitzvah. All right. Being the bridegroom of Christ. Okay. Bring the bride, the, the bridegroom, I should say. He is the Christ. What What do you think about then in Acts chapter 8, about verse 34 or 35? I have to look it up here. Where in talking about the Ethiopian and Philip the evangelist, that, that eunuch says, here's water, what hinders me? And they both went into the water both Philip and the eunuch, and he immersed him. And it's obvious there, to me it seems obvious, that he put his hands on him, and the Philip bat- dipped the eunuch or immersed the eunuch. Do you think that's a fair deduction from the text, Ken? Uh, it, it implies that he, he touched him, doesn't it? It does, and they both went into the water where it's a mikvah, the, he didn't say to the eunuch, just go into the water and dip yourself. And in fact, the very, the very idea of were, was baptized, and these are so many people were baptized that day in Acts 2, being in the passive tense, the baptism of, I'm, I can't speak to the mikvahs of the Jews. I, I appreciate what you're saying. I do it. I think it's instructive. But the baptism of Christ, it seems to me, most of the time, grammatically is placed in the passive tense it's something that is done to you if you mean if you know what i'm saying and you are a passive object or participant in it because some people say because you're dead and then you are then someone buries you because you're dead and you they raise you back up which is symbolic of god raising you up so it says what were baptized i don't know if I'm making too much of the grammar of it or not. Uh, but it's obvious Paul is speaking about someone, about him doing something to some of those people, where, whereas other people he didn't do the same thing to in 1 Corinthians well, 1. That's, that's, that's kind of my point. Okay, all right, go ahead. It's, uh, it doesn't... Uh, he, he could it could be someone else baptizing you, or you could do it yourself with him there being present, but not actually touching you. Not actually touching you. Okay. Hmm. Now, now you've just raised an entirely new problem for people to debate about, Ken. Yeah, sure. Th- th- thanks so much for that. Well, it <laughs> kind of goes along, Mike, with what you were saying in Acts 19.4 when Paul says, uh, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. So John wasn't the baptized E, he was the baptized er. If you've got a baptized er, then you've got someone doing now, now, something that, having something to do functionally with what's going on. Yes. Now, let me see. See, Ken, you, you've just taken the step further from what I said. May, may, you see if I interpret this correctly, that um, there's no specific formula that you have to say when you baptize someone. They call it, though, in denominations and in the Catholic Church, the baptismal formula of what words you have to say. And there was a big deal in Miami one of the bishops down there, he his, about 10,000 marriages and baptisms were nullified recently because he didn't say exactly the right words when he did them. Okay. I'm, you think I'm, everybody laughs. You think I'm kidding. No, he put the word you in there instead of some other word or something like that. He did not say the exact right formula when he did these ceremonies 
And they have to go back now and see if these, these people, according to Catholic Church, aren't even legally married, much less the baptism's valid. Oh, we, it's everything about who they are. We just opened an entirely another can of worms. What about the qualifications of the ones who does well, the well, baptism? That's, that's the problem. He, 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 he didn't do it the right way. So uh, what I'm saying is the scriptures don't say or don't teach that there's a specific formula for what you say when you baptize someone or what you wear, or they had controversies in the early church that it had to be running water. It couldn't be still water. It had to be running water and had to be fresh water, not salt water and all this kind of stuff, which the Bible says nothing about. And then you add the other element then of, do you have to touch somebody or not? And you have to be a man or a woman or not? So I don't know whether to throw my question about can a woman baptize? So I'm in the same category as what do you say about it and whether you have to touch them or not. What do you think about that, Ken? Where are we on this thing now? We really got it confused? Yeah, well, I, I think... We'll make any progress here. Doesn't matter. <laughs> huh? Doesn't matter? Uh, yeah, well, not, Bill Murray in his movie had a movie. It just doesn't matter. He made that quote. <laughs> All right. I want to say one thing for sure, baseline, so everybody understands. A lot of things about baptism do matter, and they matter a lot, okay, about how it's done and why it's done and all that. But some things about the actual act of baptism itself are not specified as such in Scripture, and though therefore, because, and we don't have any other example of it so much that I'm reluctant to do it. Now, in this case of a man baptizing, a woman baptizing a man, or a woman baptizing someone, the answer to my argument, what I just said there would be, the answer would be on the other side, well, it does say this in the sense that we don't have any example anywhere in the scriptures of a woman baptizing anyone, even though many people are shown to be baptized. They're always baptized by a man. Now, my answer to that would be, well, does this man have to be an apostle to do it? or someone authorized by the apostles with special gifts to do it? That's the question. And I know that people debate about that question. So you, you keep opening up the cans of worms. And that's what, in my estimation, my judgment at, at this point in time, and I can be persuaded, maybe Gary can too. I don't know if he agrees with me about this. I think we should leave the baptizer generic and not bind something on people that the scriptures do not bind, whereas the person who to be, is to be baptized is the significant one. Now, your theory about hands-on or hands-off might emphasize this, Ken. The one who is being baptized mm -hmm. is the one who the regulations, as they were, apply to. They have to be a believer in Christ. They have to be willing. They have to have made confession and repented of their sins. Then they can be baptized. That's what we find this in Acts 8, for example, when the, the Philip told the Ethiopian that I mentioned a moment ago, about verse 34, the Ethiopian says, here's water. After he had, they preached Jesus to him, or Philip did, and he said, well, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? So Philip taught him about Jesus, and one of the things he taught this eunuch was that he needed to be baptized. He taught him that when he taught him about Jesus, because the man was asking about it. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And so it says, and then the, so they commanded the chariot to stand still. The man says, then, I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made a confession with his mouth. They commanded the chariot to stand still. They both went into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So that's a very clear example of what's going on here, that Philip isn't the main source of attention. It's the teaching about it's what this man was taught. Some people are taught wrong things about baptism, and therefore they do the wrong thing for the wrong reason because they haven't been taught Christ properly. And then they don't have the right attitude. They're just baptized because their wife wants them to or their husband wants them to, something like that, or because all the other young people are doing it. Some people are baptized by not being immersed, going into the water and being dipped or buried. They're sprinkled on or other things happening. So there's a lot of ways it can all be wrong. They all they all center around the heart and the actions of the person being baptized. 
not the heart of the person who is doing the baptizing. Now, whether it can be a man or a woman, the scriptures simply do not say specifically that about that issue. Which, Ken, I want to let you finish your point before I finish what I want to say about that. Go ahead and finish your thought here. Okay, um, I, I'm done with this subject, but I have another question for you, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring that up later on. You can call back later. Okay. All right. I would, that, if you can hold off on that, would be great. So we can finish this subject. I'd appreciate that. Okay. I don't want to put you off, but if you wouldn't mind calling back another day or later on, that'd be great. Thank you. Okay, thanks for your comments, Ken. That's very interesting about the mikvah. And especially, I think maybe that what he was following something that the people of that day would recognize. Now, the scriptures say about the baptism of Jesus, when John objects to Jesus coming to be to be baptized of him. He says, I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus said, I need to do this to fulfill all oh, righteousness. righteousness. So he was doing it so that since he's going to command other people to be baptized. Well, no, that's wrong. Let me start back. Since since God had commanded people to come and be baptized of John the Baptist, John was God's prophet. John was just just wasn't just doing this because he wanted to. God sent John to prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah. And so God sent John, and Jesus recognized that God sent John, that the people of that area should have gone out to John to be baptized. They ought to have done it. And he didn't want anybody to say, and rightfully so, that, well, you want, you want us to look at John the Baptist and say, well, John the Baptist told you I'm the Messiah, but I'm not baptized. You didn't get baptized by him. Jesus eliminated that by being baptized by John. He could tell the people, well, see, I told you John's a prophet, and I did exactly what he said. I'm following God. I obey God. You ought to obey God. So that's what it meant, I think, means to fulfill all righteousness. So um, and there's so there's a difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism, which was the call, the fellow, lady who emailed me, it was her other question, which we're not getting to. There's a difference. And yes, we do know that people who were baptized by John's baptism in Acts 19 were baptized again, but the baptism of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. But back to the question of whether a woman can baptize. Gary, you, you, you had some more thoughts on this, I think. Or did we? Well, I was thinking that it, it may not be a question of what's specified about baptism or what we how it's done itself in the examples as the question of authority and and we read that passage in timothy um i think it's uh first timothy 2 9 through 15 exactly uh in like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest and he goes on i'm, I'm going to go on down to verse uh, 11 let a woman learn in silence with all submission and i do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man but in but to be in silence, for Adam was formed first, and he gives the reasons that you can we can go read that. It goes back to creation. It goes back to, to the fall. Yeah, it goes back to creation, and and that leads me to believe that this is what God's originally intended purpose was. This is the order in which He had right. that first. So now most baptisms occur publicly, basically in the context of worship. So it, it, it may be a question. It may be a question of of this kind of authority over a man rather than what we're told exactly about the technical operation of baptism itself. And so I would say that we've got to honor this, particularly in a public setting. We need to honor this idea of authority here. All right, now I agree with that. That's what I was. That's how I was going to finish up this. I I would I will give you my judgment. Uh, based on putting together, and Gary, I think you agree with him. Yeah. You'll see. You can you can object if you. Well, let me this. just let me just well, read I thought this. you were done. Sorry. Yeah, Go yeah. Ahead. What I would say is care must be taken in this in a situation like this where a woman might baptize a man, a believing adult, repenting, confessing male. We we've already talked about that in a public setting because of the perception of the authority that's being taken. Or the actual authority. Or the actual authority that's being taken. Uh, now, I would say, of course, I believe that a woman might baptize a woman where there's need. I mean, we have women teaching women and children in the church today. I mean, because right here in this church, right, right here they in this church children, today. Right. And, and so 
whenever a man is is available to do these things in public and is capable of doing these things in public, then you know there might be a man there, but he may not. He may be wheelchair bound and not able to do these things. So, what 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 might be the circumstance that I would put forward as a possibility? Because I've never seen this happen. Uh, basically, our baptistries today are like many swimming pools. So, and we've got steps basically to help someone to be sure that they don't trip and fall or you know accidentally drowned we send some handrails and whatever we send somebody in there to support them and help them that that goes back to your touching idea again this is implied in the safety and the operation of it but basically so you need someone there in the water with them to support them now back in the third century they had baptistries where people stood by on the outside only the person being immersed went into the water in the third century, they understood that as okay. Well, they didn't have they had a small thing you climb down into. I've seen them, and they're yeah. like little cisterns. Right, they're like and and, and, one and, person, and whoever was stating saying whatever they said or making sure that everybody understood what was going on said whatever it is to edify the audience to know what was going now, on. I can't, I can't remember the place it was, Gary. I think it was the place. Well, I have to think where it was. There's a baptistry we saw, though, that was big stone thing. It was not first century, obviously, but it had it had like cutouts that like you could lay somebody down this direction, then this direction, direction. and then this direction. You could stand in the middle. So they would stand on the outside, apparently, and they would take the person and baptize them in the name of the father. They'd bring yeah. them back up. Bring him to the next little indentation in the name of the son. Go down and then the name of the Holy Spirit. You know, they baptize him three dippings for each of the three things in that battery. Battery was made like that. That's apparently what they did. We've we've got nothing that describes that. that, I don't suppose that wrong. I I just don't think there's anything in the Bible that I could say about that. Now, Now, the thing that I would say is that. As I said, the person who's doing the baptizing is not significant. The person who, what that, what the person who is being baptized believes and knows and has done, that's significant. Okay, about yes. it, repenting and confessing, and then you've got the the question then of authority to do this. And so, in the modern era, in a situation where there is a question of authority. The, the, the authority of a woman over a man, man. in a public I think setting. A man should do that. Now, my my wife taught a lady the gospel here. I'm just thinking of one example, and she's done this before several times. She taught a per- lady the gospel, and the lady s- says to her, "I want to be baptized right now." And so my wife called me up, and we went and baptized her. Now, if they were by themselves and it couldn't be done any other way, I'm going to like the, there's a passage that talks about. The Philippian jailer being baptized in Acts 16 in the same hour of the night. night. We believe in baptizing when the person decides to believe and be baptized, whatever that is. Then I think if the circumstances, exigent circumstances, they call them, were such that a woman needed to do that, then then she should do that. If there's a situation where there are men present, uh, then I think men should do that when it's ever, whenever it's possible so that there's no question. Because in our society, in our culture, the one doing the baptizing is in a position of authority, generally speaking, by the very nature of that act and by people's perceptions of that act. So it's, that would be always best to do that. Are there circumstances that could arise or that wouldn't be possible where you'd have to prioritize this person being baptized immediately over that circumstance. And I think the answer is yes. I've not ever seen it, but I, 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 I would say yes, because the circumstances of either life or death or some other circumstance, you need to do it now. Well, the immediacy and the urgent need for baptism once a person commits themselves to that is obvious in the scripture. What I would say, and most of the time, people come forward in a service where it's a public thing. My point would be, if if 
if basically there is no man capable of physically getting down and giving aid, then yeah, that's then an then find a woman that can go down and if there's a if there's a man that can sit outside and speak the words and letting everything know, then that's fine. All right. Thanks for listening today. We really appreciate it. Hope you'll tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians. We'd love to have you on to, to listen to the show. Visit our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. And come and be with us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. May God bless you until next week. Thank you very much. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.